0: Hey folks, I'm Kathy Parker with Beyond the Ball Field. This is not your typical sports show. We won't be talking X's and O's, but we will be talking about raising your family in the sports-crazed world. Let's not only survive sports, but let's learn to thrive on and off the field. So please, join us as we look at life beyond the ball field. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Ball Field. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with CJ and Kelly Stewart, of the LEAD organization out of Atlanta, Georgia. They do amazing work with young people using baseball as a tool to mentor and to change the future of many of our most at-risk youth. Welcome to Beyond the Ball Field, and today we're here with CJ and Kelly Stewart. I'm gonna start with asking you a question, uh, CJ. You are very bold in your mission statement, and I applaud you for that. In fact, uh, you know many people want to skirt around that issue, but you are out front with it. And you said we are preparing young men to occupy positions of leadership instead of prison cells. Can you give me a little bit of information about how you got started with working with at-risk youth? And especially revolving around sports.
1: Yes, well, we're excited to be here on this um, podcast with you, Kathy. It's uh, an amazing assignment that we have and just glad that you uh, thought enough of us to share our story and um, how our lives have been impacted to get us to this point of leadership. So I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia in 1976 and uh, was a Grady baby. And so um uh, The hospital that I was born in was Grady Memorial Hospital. And for all intents and purposes, um, during that time in the 70s, if you were a Grady baby, that meant that you were African-American and poor. Um, And I was fortunate enough uh, to be in the city of Atlanta and educated within Atlanta public schools um, during some very um, tough times coming um, post-civil rights movement. And my mom was 16 years old when she had me. Uh, my father was 25 and, uh, they were raised in poverty. And so I was raised in poverty. I mean, it was no, um, family legacy or financial wealth that I was able to, um, lean into, but nonetheless, um, being in this city, um, the city of Atlanta and, uh, the home of the civil rights movement and being a part of Atlanta public schools, I felt like I had a lot of hope, uh, for my future. I was also, um baptized at Elizabeth Baptist Church in Atlanta, a very uh, strong church then and has even grown even today. And uh, so as a kid, I wanted to play professional baseball. I remember around the age of seven or eight, my grandfather um, would be in the, in the room of, of their house in Atlanta and he would be watching a lot of Cubs games during the daytime. And I just really connected with him through those games. Uh, I would watch enough of the games and then I would go outside and practice, and I would throw rocks up in the air and hit them. Uh, I would throw rocks against trees to work on my pitching. And while I was out there, I mean, I just really envisioned myself escaping poverty uh, through this sport of baseball. Fast forwarding, at the age of 14, I got an opportunity to try out for the Chicago Cubs. Back then, uh, travel baseball didn't exist, and Uh, all the showcase tournaments and uh, those things didn't exist. And uh, so major league teams would have free agent workouts and they would go to different cities. So at 14, I went and uh, the late uh, TJ Wilson was an Atlanta police department officer and he took a liking to me and saw a lot of uh, promise uh, in me as a person and also baseball And he got me out there to that tryout with the Cubs. And I was able to develop a relationship with them at the early age of 14, continue to try out with them over the years. At 18 years old, I was actually drafted by the Chicago Cubs for the very first time. Um, and so as far as I was concerned, you know, hey, everything that I dreamed about and prayed about is starting to come true. But I ended up going to college, to Georgia State University, and then later transferred the next year to the CAB College because uh, my family members and mentors told me that. In order for me to be successful, I had to have a college degree. Uh, I had um, bad experiences at both of the schools. I just did not have the work ethic to do well in college. Uh, As important as it was, the work ethic and the character just wasn't there. So I failed out of both schools, got drafted again by the Chicago Cubs, and then signed and played professionally in the Cubs organization for two years. Bring this on home. Um, around, let's see, 2007, I have been 10 years into training professional baseball players and have been, by the grace of God, doing a really good job of helping them um, make it all the way to the major league level. Um, within 10 years, lots of success, and God was truly blessing me. But it was also in 2007 that one of my clients, Stan Conway, a very wealthy businessman, who was involved in commercial real estate, he was the father of one of my middle school clients. And he threw me three pitches that really changed me uh, the rest of my life. Number one, he says, CJ, if you're as good as you said you, you say you are, uh, why are your rates so low? So I was like, whoa. <laughs> then the second thing he said, if you're as good as you say you are, why, why is it that anybody can get access to you so easily? And then the third thing he said, there was a decline of blacks in baseball, Uh, in our country, and specifically in Atlanta, and I wasn't doing anything about it. And so at that point, LEAD was birth, and our mission is to empower that generation to lead and transform their city of Atlanta. And our vision is that our LEAD ambassadors will lead their city of Atlanta to lead the world. And we use baseball as a vehicle to help African-American boys, black boys, overcome crime, poverty, and racism. And so I see myself as a case study specifically for black boys that are living in Atlanta in poverty, um, being able to use baseball as a vehicle to uh, escape it. So um, I'm passionate about it. Uh, It is my life purpose. And fortunately, I have support of a lot of amazing people in this city, especially my wife, Kelly, who's our COO, in order to make sure things are uh, rolling the way they need to.
0: Wow. What is what does that look like on a daily basis, working with with at-risk young men?
1: So I would definitely say that, um, and, and Kelly really, she does a much better job of explaining the operations. Uh, she she represents the head of what we do and I represent the heart. And so there are three things uh, that need to happen, with what I call three Ps. Uh, number one, you have to be present. And number two, you have to be a present. And number three, you have to partner. And so being present, um, obviously, it's great to be able to be there face to face uh, with the 350 boys that we serve on an annual basis, but that's not that's not sustainable. It's not realistic. So being present is we we have to take advantage of technology. um, We have to take advantage of um, our relationships with um, educators and liaisons inside the school building as well as our staff. Um, and then just a the constant act, uh, interaction that we have with the boys on the um, on a monthly basis throughout the year. So being present is not just face to face, but leveraging technology. And especially nowadays with the coronavirus pandemic, um, we we us leveraging that is even more important. Uh, the second part to be a present is uh, really understanding what our gifts are, uh, our passion, as well as our story. So that way, when we show up, um, we are able to be our best selves. Hurting people hurt people. And so the last thing that our boys need is people that are in their lives of leadership uh, who are apologizing for the gifts that they have from God. So when I show up, uh, I'm showing up on purpose. I have a story. Um, I'm very focused on why I'm there. And then, and then the last thing, the last P is partnership. So I'm coming in knowing that I have things that I need to learn from them Um, because I'm not perfect, not striving to be perfect. Uh, I have a lot of weaknesses and there are even times where uh, sometimes I'm talking too much and they'll in their own way, because CJ, uh, I get it. You're doing too much talking. And so, I show up every day to learn from them as well as also um, coaching them. So, uh, be present, be a present.
0: Okay, and then with you mentioned the coronavirus, and that has to be have a significant impact on on your youth that live in poverty. Can can you tell us how? It sort of differs and what it looks like for uh, these young men who live in poverty, many of them from single-parent homes, and just how severe the situation is for them.
2: Well, I would say, Kathy, um, the single-parent home piece is, um, I would set that aside for right now, simply because, um, you know, there are parents who, there are children who are growing up in single parent homes who still get what they need, you know, that old, um, proverb of it takes a village. So the biggest threat to our children, um, is first and foremost, the issue of poverty. So I just want to paint a picture for you of our district and, um, the students that we live in and what what their world looks like. So we are a partner of Atlanta Public Schools. That is the school district here uh, in the city of Atlanta, and we have about fifty two thousand students in the district overall. Uh, about seventy five percent of those students are Black students. About seventy five percent of the overall population in APS is at free or reduced lunch. About 77% of our overall population is economically disadvantaged. Uh, We have a 24.1% student mobility rate. What that means is about 12,500 students are transient, uh, either due to homelessness or to effects of gentrification uh, in this city. We have the worst income inequality in the United States here in the city of Atlanta. The poverty rate is 24 percent, which means about one in four people are living in poverty in the city of Atlanta. So as you can see with those stats, just a regular day is about survival, is about scarcity, is about uncertainty. So with this pandemic that has come upon us, you know, trying to make sure that you have the necessities when your job is Cutting your hours um, when you're already trying to make it off of, you know, eight hundred, five hundred dollars a month, but now your hours are being cut, and your kids are home uh, now through the week. So even if you are receiving some type of SNAP benefits um, with kids at home all day every day, your resources are depleted faster. So. Um, when you're living in poverty, you know, you don't need anything else to uh, exacerbate that situation. And that's exactly what this Corona pandemic has done.
0: Well, in our many of us, uh, we, we have stories and, and, and we have kids that we know at the ball field and there's tremendous disappointment. Uh, there's uh, concern about what their next step may be, whether they're going to be, um, the classes they need for college, the, um, whether their season, uh, losing that season, um, is going to affect their ability to be recruited. But I want you to share, you don't have to share names, but maybe a situation that could really help us open our eyes To see that there are hardships uh, when it comes to poverty in some of these situations that that many of us might not even know are existing, but we need to know exist. Can you share a a story or two with us?
2: Yeah. So I would say overall, you you know yourself, Kathy, just from the whole um, recruiting. Um, process that, you know, this is a losing a whole season for a lot of student athletes uh, hurts their Mm. uh, possibility of being recruited um, to play baseball at the next level, which is something that, you know, our boys have been working on since they first stepped on the baseball field, whether it was T-ball or whatever. So it's disheartening to lose that opportunity. Um, We also have uh, a lot of boys in our organization who know that they're not going to be able to play baseball on the college level, but this was their senior year and their last opportunity to play for their school. So that has been taken away from them. But specifically when it comes to, the hardship that this pandemic has put on our boys, uh, who are, um, experiencing various levels of poverty. Um, uh, we have a situation where one of our, uh, boys is homeless right now, uh, actually squatting in the, uh, apartment that they were kicked out of right now, just because the locks haven't been changed. And, you know, he and a parent, they're holed up there until the situation changes. So, you know, when it comes down to lead using baseball, you know, as a vehicle to help develop young men, it's not just about the baseball. Right now we have one of our boys who's in a very tough situation. So we have to make sure we address that as well. Um, we have um, one of our boys who is um, really pretty much like the man of the house, um, he's the oldest of uh, six siblings. And right now he is the main caretaker for them while his mom is out at work. You know, being able to be at school was like an outlet for him, you know, so that he could have a chance to, you know, be a kid and just uh, not have to worry about so many adult responsibilities. Um, But now, Being at home every day, he has to try to figure out how he can get his schoolwork done now that everybody is working remotely. But he also has his siblings to look after. And his youngest sibling uh, is about seven months old at this time. So it's a lot going on um, with our youth who are living in poverty, with with youth who have resources and youth who have uh, extensive networks of people to call on. This is definitely a pandemic that's causing stress on all of us. But when you have a lack of resources, when you don't have a reserve fund to go to, when you don't, when the networks of people that you have are also in generational poverty, uh, it, it's it's really like a hopeless situation.
0: Kelly and CJ, how can we help as, as families that... Um... You know we're experiencing uh, you know stress and that kind of thing, but uh, also um, we've been blessed and we do have you know resources. And when we hear these stories, we're like, wow! Um, but there's there's got to be some things that that. Um, that we can do. Can you give us some examples of, of how we can, we can help Uh, you and CJ uh, Kelly are on the front line and we appreciate that so much. And how can people that are listening, reach out and help you do what you're trying to do with helping these young men who are uh, really experiencing um, adversity?
2: Well, the first thing is to understand that no one nonprofit um, in the city of Atlanta, or in the city, in the cities where your listeners live, can handle all of the need that's out there. It's going to take um, the whole nonprofit community, and I would ask your listeners to understand that it's going to take more. Most of us made our budgets at the end of uh, Q4 last year, um, maybe early Q1 this year. When we made our budgets, we did not incorporate. Anything in our budgets for a pandemic like this. We had no way of predicting this. So our resources are being taxed uh, differently and in ways that we did not imagine. So even if you've already given to your favorite nonprofit, please reach out to that nonprofit to say, what else do you need? If you have that abundance, reach out to them and say, I know I've given you a pledge already, but what else might you need in the wave of this pandemic? Um, For us specifically, what we need, um, we're trying to fill the gap um, that exists on the weekend when it comes down to food. So Atlanta Public Schools is providing lunch and breakfast for um, our students via bus routes that they're running each day through the week. So we know that our students are uh, have the opportunity to be fed then, but on the weekends uh, is where that gap is. So what we're doing is with the 350 boys um, that we serve in our programs, we're reaching out to them to assess the needs, reaching out to, when I say them, I mean, you know, their parents, their head of household to assess the need that they have so we can make um, meal deliveries uh, to them to make sure that on the weekends they're getting um, a decent a decent meal. So definitely supporting and so for example, fifty dollars can feed a family of four. Um, we've partnered with uh, one of our uh, partners in the community, Georgia Express Meals, to make sure that we can get meals to our families. So um, providing. Uh, money for food household items um, I do want to make sure I say a word about the panic buying the panic buying just guts um, our most vulnerable neighbors I mean when 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 people go out and buy 30 packs of toilet paper and they buy up, 50 cans of Lysol spray. I mean, you are taking away from multiple households that can only afford to buy one or two of those items at a time. So, you know, we, as a community, we as a country, we need to understand that we have to take care of one another and we have to let the supply chain, you know, do what it's meant to do and not hoard, um, Goods and you know, household items because we are taken away from those most vulnerable in our communities.
0: I want to add to that, Kelly, because um, I'm noticing when I do. Uh, go to the grocery, the only things that are left are the really expensive things uh, when you're yes. buying meat or something like that, that, you know, a staple that you have to have, you're having to, the only options that are left are the very, you know, most expensive <laughs> types. Right. And so that does, you're exactly right. It does hurt those that are on Uh, You know, extreme budgets where Mm -hmm. if they want uh, to have that food for their family, uh, they're having to spend more in a time where their resources are even being um, constrained even more.
2: Even more, and I saw someone start to circulate on social media, um, imploring with the people to just say, "If you see a tag beside um, an item in a grocery store that has the initials WIC, WIC on them, please uh, don't grab all of those items because for low-income citizens, those are the only items that they're able to get as part of the WIC program. So we go out and buy." a hundred thousand boxes of Cheerios, you know what I'm saying? We aren't leaving um, those items for our most vulnerable neighbors. So we just need to keep that in mind that, you know, even though our households and our budgets may be able to handle us buying all of this food. Who are we? Who are we taking food from? What children are we taking food from? We need to keep that in mind.
0: Absolutely, great, great example of that. Those WIC products, um, d- dairy products, and things that have, uh, like you were talking about Cheerios, those kind of things that are staples. For mm-hmm. families, we need to make sure that we leave that and only take what you need. Absolutely, only take what
2: you need. Yep.
0: Okay, so giving to leading, I love it that you said fifty dollars would feed a family of four. Is that per weekend or how how long that, does that go?
2: That's a that's a dinner for the day. That's fifty dollars feeds a family of four with dinner for for the day. So our plan right now is to go out on uh, Saturdays uh, once we raise some funds to get our first um, bulk of meals prepared. So we plan to go out on next Saturday and we'll feed who we can feed for that day and we'll continue to raise funds so we can feed as many uh, families as we can feed.
0: You know, the thing, Kelly, is that there are a lot of people who can give $50. And so the way to do that would be to go to your website. Is that the best way?
2: Yes. Our website address is LEAD, L-E-A-D, the number two, legacy.org. LEAD2legacy.org. On the main page of our website, there's a donate button in the top right corner. Um, And you click that donate button um, to give. It's just that simple.
0: And then um, they may wanna give two fifty and feed a family for the month. So anything Absolutely. would be appreciated. And you know it adds up, doesn't
2: it, Kelly? It really does. And it's more than just a meal, you know, when, when you can go out and hand that meal to somebody who is at their lowest point just to know that there were people out there thinking about them to make sure that their family ate because one thing this Pandemic has caused a lot of us to do is to retreat within ourselves and to only worry about ourselves. So when you can see evidence of people out there that are concerned about you, uh, especially at a time when anybody could understand you being only worried about your own family, but you see that people are still concerned about others, that's like a a shot to the spirit to say, hold on, you know, things are things are not as bad as they they seem, and things are going to get better.
0: Absolutely and this time where we're having to really focus on on looking at our assets and looking at what we can share and looking right. at you know we can either we have two choices here. we can turn inward or we can look outward to see how we can we can help. And Kelly, right. my, my prayer is that this uh, pandemic won't won't either you know, that it will be over soon but mm-hmm. when it is over, I think that it would be such a disgrace if we all went back to life as as, as usual and normal. Um, we need to remember, and I think this is a time where maybe our eyes can be open. And CJ, in his testimony in the very beginning, what an example of a young man who escaped poverty and then had a good life, had a wonderful, beautiful family, but mm-hmm. then decided, "Hey, what am I doing to give back?" And for many of us who have raised athletes, we spend tons of time and money and effort at the ball field. What is that? Has such an impact? It is a it is a vehicle to reach uh, young people. It is a vehicle to reach some of the most vulnerable. In our communities, what mm-hmm. is something if you had to say after this is over, something that many of us uh, would need to remember and to um, to take to heart? What would that
2: be? I hope we learn just how connected we are to one another through. This pandemic. I hope after all of this is over, we understand how the decisions that we make individually impact not just the people in our households, but the people in our communities. And I hope we take that new understanding of interconnectedness and begin to make better choices as individuals, and begin to make um, better choices as as organizations. And I know it's definitely made us think about how we um, prepare for things like this in the future. You know, we don't have a crystal ball, but we definitely have learned a lot that's going to shape the way we create our budgets uh, going forward. But we all just need to understand, especially living in America, where we have this spirit of individualism and all of that. Well, you know, Nobody can make it in the world on their own. And I hope that we all are beginning to see that. And I hope we treat each other better after this.
0: That is so well said, Kelly. We cannot do it on our own. And we are seeing that every day now, aren't we?
2: Absolutely.
0: I'm so thankful that you and CJ joined us today. And again, If you want to help this organization and uh, Kelly and CJ Stewart would lead are right on the front line in Atlanta serving those who are in the most need, um, like she said, $50 would feed a family of four. And if you can spare 250 that would be uh, a whole month that they would be able to take meals to them um, every weekend. So thank you so much, CJ and Kelly. And God, you, God, God bless you guys. Thank you for how you serve.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's our pleasure. And thank you for giving us this platform today. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on Beyond the Ball Field, where we are using lessons learned in sports to positively impact our family and others. And for more information on how you can be a positive influence beyond the ball field, go to our website, beyondtheballfield.com.